The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello, and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash. This week, we dive into the topic of financial health in the time of COVID. We go deep with accountant Craig Mead. Craig opens up about his experiences as an accountant during this unprecedented time and gives us general advice on how to manage our finances, not just now, but into the future, the COVID-free future. Finances, they can stress us out and keep us up at night. A sleepless night can lead to a bad day at work, lack of energy so we can't exercise or enjoy sex, make unhealthy decisions about what we eat. Financial stress can just make us plain old cranky. Finances, though, can also give us the freedom to do great things like pay for education, travel and experience the world and other cultures, to pay for a fun hobby, to live. Finances can also help us help others. In this interview, Craig brings up the term financial stethoscope, which I love, and we discuss the importance of this not just now with COVID, but for every year of your life. Our discussion and Craig's advice is general in nature. If you need financial help, I hope it inspires you to seek the services and advice from an accountant and a financial advisor. If you don't have a good team of financial doctors, as I'd like to call them, then I hope this episode will inspire you to do so. A little bit about Craig. Craig joined DPM in 1987 after previous experience with the Australian Taxation Office. Craig holds a Bachelor of Business, Diploma of Financial Planning. He is a certified practicing accountant and holds the designation of Specialist in Financial Planning with the Australian Society of CPAs. He is also a fellow of the Taxation Institute of Australia and an accredited mortgage consultant with the MFAA. Craig is a director of DPM, a tax partner, and the director responsible for the finance advice in the area of the business. He's responsible for servicing a client base of high net worth professionals and advising on taxation, structuring investments, retirement planning, asset protection, and finance. I hope you enjoy our chat. Craig, thanks for joining me today. You're based in Melbourne. Remotely in my study in these COVID times, unfortunately, Natasha, not face-to-face. Offline, we had a discussion about COVID and, and how it's unprecedented that you've not seen anything like it the last 35 years. Can you give us a brief synopsis of what, from a, an accounting perspective, that means for you as an accountant? The unprecedented times, Natasha, especially in the last couple of weeks with the stimulus packages and the, the job keeper is meaning that we're having to touch base with so many clients, hold their hand through this maze. And with the JobKeeper, uh, the legislation is out today, so there's a lot of devil in the detail, how it applies to self-employed people. But Natasha, I've got a anaesthetist that whose incomes are dropping 70, 80, 90%. And as you would be well aware, people do gear themselves and they do do things to their lifestyle, to what they earn. So it's a massive, massive issue. We've got uh, dental practices closing. We've got ENT practices just closing. It really is quite extraordinary. They're having to reduce staff, cut staff. And our advice is that given what the medical fraternity has said, this bubble 
is going to be pushed out and, and we're not going back to work in the next one or two weeks. We're all going to be working remotely. So we're guiding clients to get through to Christmas and that's the way we're looking at it. So somebody's got a shortfall of 10000 a month. How do we make sure they've got that so that they can exist with their families with a reasonable quality of life? And if that means getting tax back from the government or having moratorium on loans, then so be it. However, we are saying to clients, Natasha, that the tax man and the banks are eventually going to want their money. So if you can afford to pay your loans, pay them. If you can afford to pay the tax man, pay the tax man, but not at the expense of, of actually living. Uh, this, um, this package, there are things like getting access to superannuation. We would advise that would be a last resort type of uh, action and also these 50% government loans, which the banks are still working through. So there are some packages out there to get you through. However, it, it's just taking the cash boost if you employ staff. It's taking the job keeper if you can. What can you do? Minimising your tax payments because the, the tax office are going to give a moratorium uh, on payments over the next 12 months and no interest and no penalties. So they're, to be fair, they seem to be doing their, their bit to help out as well. So that's in a nutshell sort of what the last two or three weeks has meant at our end, Natasha. So I hope that helps. You guys have been working around the clock, it seems. I mean, you've been putting in a lot more hours. Yeah, I've been talking. We're working remotely. We've got 186 staff, of which 98 are are remotely. We did that basically overnight, and it's very different. We're using a platform called MS Teams. We're just having 10, 15, 20 half-hour conversations and and web catch-up with our clients to guide them through it. The amount of inquiries, we send out emails with all the information and clients want to know, so we're scheduling these appointments and just really helping them through these times. You know, I don't know what a cardiologist does, but I do know what this means to them and we help them through. But, you know, I had a 10-minute conversation with somebody the other day and in that 10 minutes, another six client inquiries pop up. It's unprecedented and yeah, we're busy, but I think um, we will we'll come out of this uh, and we'll come out of this uh, strongly and supporting um, you know, the most important people uh, are our staff, supporting them, but also our clients. Do you think things will go back to? I've, I was going to ask a silly question. Actually, yeah. things will go back no to normal. Thing is, no such no thing. No such thing. You mentioned that a lot of your staff are now working at home, and you know, saying by Christmas, things go back to normal, inverted commas. Do you feel that most people will end up having more flexibility in terms of where they work? Do you think you'll have more people working from home because you would have been set up in that scenario? And is that a good thing? Natasha, I have got no doubt uh, this will change the way we work. I think I read a, a statistic that the National Australia Bank has one desk for every 1.7 people. I think in our uh, small to medium business that, that this will change our our floor space that we'll need going forward. And I think a lot of businesses will be the same. Why can't I share a desk with one of my colleagues and, and be at home two days a week and in the office three? I, I think it's going to be radically different. Uh, we're all learning to use these platforms, WebEx, MS Teams, Zoom, all those sorts of things. And I think it's markedly going to change the way we work, even for a, 
for an old uh, older guy like myself, it's uh, it's challenging. But once you learn, it, it works really, really well. Yeah, I have to say I've had uh, a lot more Zoom meetings than I ever have had in my life. And my secretary yeah. did work at home one day, which was really good because now we, we know how to do that because we've set that up. Well, um, I went in and had a, um, I had a, a teleconference meeting with my GP to go and get the flu shot today and, you know, that's now bulk billed and, and the government, I, it's rumoured that they're going to increase the schedule fees for that uh, across the, the board for specialists as well. So the, um, the way we actually interact is going to be vastly different and, and, and that's, probably, that's probably a good thing, but it's, it's all new to us uh, at this point. So pre-COVID days, you and I met in an office uh, at your firm in Sydney, and yes. uh, I think uh, that's right. You asked me what I do, and I said I'm the funny mechanic. Yes. And then we started talking about women in medicine, and you mentioned that you were going to talk to some female ENT surgeons. Is that correct? Yes, we were scheduled to do a, a talk uh, Sunday lunchtime a few weeks ago. However, it was cancelled. Uh, a couple of clients asked me to come and have a have a chat. They uh, they took the probably the right right uh, stance that they didn't think that having seventy five percent of the country's ENT surgeons in one place at this point was a good thing. So you can understand that. So that's uh, obviously been put on the back border, back back uh, uh, the back uh, room. So yeah, we'll, we'll have to do that another time. But yeah, that's when we met. And would you be able to share with us some gold nuggets of advice that you were planning on sharing that day? Uh, okay, yeah, not a problem. I think one of the the things that people don't do is they don't sit down and do a budget. It's a very simple thing, what comes in and what goes out. We call it the financial stethoscope. I myself do a budget once a year, and if you like nice holidays or you're not well, like nice clothes, put it in. But you need to work out what's coming in and what's going out because that uh, surplus is what determines what your financial advisor can um, can actually help you help you uh, invest, have investable assets, and what you're going to do whether you contribute to superannuation. So that's uh, that's one thing we're going to to explain. We're going to talk about. Um, your risk profile, understanding your risk profile. The situation is that we like to go and do negatively geared properties or shares and talk about um, long-term wealth creation strategies, but you have to understand what your your risk profile is. It's all well and good for me to say, Natasha, let's go and borrow $750,000 and go and buy that one-bedroom apartment to, to invest in but you may not be comfortable with that. So really understanding what your risk profile is. The other thing that I think is very important is insuring that risk. And you've got your professional insurance with your medical defence, but also insuring your income, your life and your family through uh, trauma cover, income protection and life cover. I think that's very, very important. And we are in a in a in an era where premiums are certainly going up, and but if you've got cover, be very, very uh, cognizant of keeping it and having it reviewed. As you get older, some cover you should reduce, and it's not just about putting cover in and increasing all the time. It's about having it uh, reviewed. The um, final thing that 
I think is very important, Natasha, is is also um, pet structuring. Uh, a lot of people have uh, non-deductible debt and you can use investment strategies going forward where you can actually structure your debt in a more tax-efficient manner. The taxman, if you have some money, the taxman can't really tell you what to do with that, but you have a choice. We're, the great Australian dream is to own your own home and we're very big on, on doing that and achieving that for our clients. So absolutely making sure you've got your debt structure correct and also your taxation structure as well. There are things that you can do in terms of if you've got your practice, you can have a service entity assist you in running that practice and there are uh, benefits in, in doing in doing that as well. So it's really budgeting, make sure you do a budget, it is your financial stethoscope, understand your risk and ensure that risk and also debt and tax structuring. They're probably the four main takeaways that I, I would go with Natasha. I absolutely love uh, that bit on financial stethoscope. I've never heard of that before. Who coined that? Was that you? Uh, look, I don't know who it was, but I'll claim it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Uh, that would make a good book, actually, financial stethoscope. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know. I'm up to the I'm up to the patents office this afternoon. <laughs> then. I mean, I the reason why I wanted to discuss finances with you is because financial health is so important. We, you know, health is a, is more than just, you know, do, does a woman get a period, you know, every month or um, does mm. her, you know, her blood pressure sit at normal? Because finances, as we know, keep people up um, when they're, you know, stressed out about it. So the financial stethoscope, I think we need to use that that phrase more often and I'm going to start throwing it around with my with my patients too. Natasha, I could sit down with you and do a budget in ten minutes. Uh, if I, I sit think down, you did that with me when when I yeah, saw you. <laughs> yeah, I think if I sit down, if I sit down with one person, I can do the budget. But I need both parties in a relationship because one person doesn't know what the other person spends on certain things. But you need to do it because you need to know what your cash flow is, especially in these times with clients, their cash flow's dried up. Mm. It's minimal. So we know what's going out, but nothing's coming in. So how do we bridge that gap? So budgeting is vital as we sit here today in this COVID environment, but it is it is vital going forward. The end of the, the end of the day, the long term goal is in our mind financial peace of mind. How do you get there? It has different definitions for people. But along the way, you must absolutely know what your cash flow is. It is critical. Yeah, I mean, I having done it a few times now, it's just it's so interesting to see where you literally bleed money out, um, and sometimes unnecessarily. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, you can go to the ASIC website. We've got templates. Uh, we have them on our on our knowledge center. But at the end of the day, for, for example, going and getting a haircut, presents, uh, medication, private health insurance. There's a whole host of things that you have to put into your spreadsheet to know where you spend money. Car registration never goes down. So it's all these things, it's a static thing, and that's why I do it once a year. I put in there all the things that I like, my golf membership, my holidays, uh, kids' expenses, and it just gives me to know where I'm at at any point in time. 
And some months you might have a deficit. You might spend more than you earn some months. But it's about a, it's about knowing that and knowing what what have you got over the course of a year to make some some shrewd financial decisions for your future. So how do how would one do that? How, how what's the easiest way to to do up a, bu- a budget? I mean, I know there are different ways of doing it, but what's a what's a way that someone can approach it? Because I know I feel that a lot of people don't do this because. Oh, you know, it's too hard. I can't work an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, can you give us some good advice on that? Yeah, there's there's a very simple budget on the ASIC website that you can download and use that. You can come up with your own. We email clients Excel templates. We have a physical one we go through face-to-face with some people. And once you've done one and you just keep doing it and you have different versions as, as the year by it's the first one. I think Natasha is, is the hardest one because you're going through things that you haven't analysed before. How much do you spend on petrol? How much do, does your holiday cost? But once you've done it, you get a handle for it. And it's very simple. If you just Google budgets, lots of things and references will come up and you just pick one that suits you. Some are really complex. Some have every month and every category and you just plug in what you pay your rates. And some are just annual. You know your rates are $2,000. You know your car repayments are, are X amount per month. So you've got simple ones and you've got really, really complex ones. Mine is just a month with the categories and it just has running totals. But just as long as you, you're better off doing something, Natasha, rather than doing nothing. Yeah, I think the idea of a, a yearly one is a really good one. And I, I would say to people, I know that I would do this now from now on myself. I would do it in September when it's my birthday. So in my birthday yeah. month, I'll remember that I have to do my pap smear if it's due, you know, get my eyes checked, do a kind of health check, but also a financial check. So I um, I would be a fan of that. Um, financial education. You said you have a daughter? I have uh, two daughters and a son. Okay. And um, – Obviously, being an accountant, you know, they've grown up around a dinner table having, I'm sure, lots of financial uh, discussions. Is that is that an assumption or is that, is that true? Natasha, that, that is an assumption and nothing could be further from, from, <laughs> right. from the truth. But uh, I've, got, uh, I've got three beautiful kids, two girls and a son, as I mentioned. Uh, my eldest daughter is a lawyer and she uh, has an idea about financial uh, information but being a lawyer, she's more interested in, in the law, obviously. But they have they have used me as a springboard for, for various financial education pieces over the years. I suppose the reason why I ask that is because financial education is huge, but again, I don't think it's uh, – I don't think we talk about finances freely enough and certainly a lot of families I don't think do that and – I realise it's it's really important for people mm. and I think the younger that people start, the better. I mean, I remember one of the first things I ever did in primary school was set up one of those Commonwealth Bank accounts and I, th- I think they're still yeah. going, aren't they? The dollar mine account? Yeah. Like I remember putting yeah. in a dollar or actually getting a dollar back in, in, in a form of a certificate, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember that very clearly. But um, what what general advice would you have for people and, you know, let's talk about women here because we're the fanny mechanic. Um, yeah. But what general advice would you give for women on, on, on financial education? 
A lot of financial institutions have knowledge bases. I'd certainly Google a financial institution. We certainly have one ourselves. There's things like you can you can look at place. There's a guy called Carl Richards, the sketch guy. He's in the New York Times. There's a book out called The Barefoot Investor. Easily read. I don't necessarily agree 100% with everything that's in there, but it gives you a really, really good basis. Uh, Noel Whitaker, uh, keep reading those articles, follow those guys in, in the media. However, at the end of the day, Natasha, uh, a little anecdote, I went and had an arthroscope on my knee. I asked the orthopedic surgeon the same eight questions that he would have had 200 times. Mm. I'm, I'm the customer, I'm the patient, I'm entitled to ask those questions and he answers them. You are entitled to know the answers. I don't know what you do as a cardiologist or a paediatrician or whatever, but it's my role as your trusted financial advisor to explain to you what this is all about, whether it be buying a negatively geared property or doing a budget or how a tax structure works. Ask questions. Just keep asking questions. If I explain something to you, Natasha, and you don't know, and I haven't explained it, you keep asking me because I'm the one that hasn't explained it correctly to you. It's my it's my job to educate you. And I think that's what I've said to, to my girls. Just keep asking questions because at the end of the day, we are in the education uh, in, in the education business, and that's what that's what we do is is we educate. That's what we've done through this whole COVID thing for two weeks. Is we just educate our clients. This is what we need to do. This is how we can help you. It's the same with anything in, in the financial sphere, Natasha. Just ask questions and don't be afraid. As we said before, there's no such thing as a silly question. Ask away. We have been trained to do what we do. You've been trained to do what you do. You get lots of questions from your patients. Well, our customers give us lots of questions and it's our, our duty and our right to, 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 to make sure you know and, 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 and just really make sure that you're educated. Does that, does that answer that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember watching a video once on finances years ago and the person in the video, I can't remember who it was, said, whatever you do when you're taking on a new accountant or a new financial advisor, you ask them, are you willing to educate me? And if they say no or if they hesitate, then find somebody else. Um yeah, so I think that that is key. Um, I've also started reading a really good book called Money School by La- Lacey Philippic, I think her name is. It's just come out. It's a great right. book. Um, I've I've started reading The Barefoot Investor, and it it seemed pretty good. I can see why it's so popular. I mean, I'm I'm in Dimmicks all the time, and that book has not left the top ten um, display for since it's been published. Um, and now he's yeah. got one on families. So, you know, you can see that there's a need for it in financial education. Um, no, nobody's got a mortgage on intelligence, Natasha. And, mm. you know, uh, we've all got different vocations. Ours is looking after you guys, medical practitioners, and that's all That's all we do. And and, and, and everybody that, that consults in our business from wealth to finance, to tax and accounting, we all educate our clients because that's what we do. And we'll probably touch on a few things in a little bit about uh, in, in areas such as superannuation, and just some basic things, that to, some takeaways to, to work towards. 
Let's talk about super now, shall we? <laughs> okay. Let's get into our teeth into super. Um, tell us about super. What do we need to know? Well, it is it is arguably the most tax efficient environment you can have. Whilst you're in accumulation mode, there on the earnings there's a fifteen percent tax and capital gains a tax at ten percent. The situation with superannuation is that you can have $1.6 million, that is the current cap. That's what you can have accumulated before in retirement you start paying tax. Our philosophy with our clients is to get every client to that 1.6 as soon as we can. However, that is not at the sacrifice of lifestyle and kids' school fees and those sorts of things. It is it is a, a long-term strategy. This, this day and age at the moment, not a lot of people putting money into superannuation. They're holding it back to see if they can get through it. But it is a terrific long-term investment. You can contribute 25000 a year as a tax deduction. You can contribute $100,000 a year as an after-tax contribution, which is a non-concessional contribution, and there's a bring-forward rule you could put in 300000 So I always quote the example of somebody who's got a tax-deductible borrowing, and that loan might be 4%, so it might cost them circa 2% after tax, and then they've got some cash. What do you do? Do you put the cash off the loan? A lot of people would do. They'd probably sleep better at night. But if you do the maths, Natasha, you may well be better off putting that into superannuation and letting that accumulate because of the tax advantages inside the superannuation. The main point, I think, with a lot of these things is you need to find a trusted advisor and take the advice because it's not as simple as taking the cash and doing what you think may be best with it, you might actually be doing yourself a disservice. And it's very easy. If I say to you, take that money, Natasha, instead of putting it off your loan, put it in your super fund, it's still your money. It's going from one pocket to the other. It's just invested a little bit more uh, tax efficiently. So the long-term compound benefits of superannuation are, are fantastic. And we see superannuation as one of the cornerstones of every client's financial well-being long-term. I noticed that my super dropped to about, what, by about 15K um, right. just, uh, what, last week? Yeah. Uh, what do you recommend? I just don't look at it during this COVID time because when I saw that, I went, what yeah. the hell? And should I be continuing to put money into my super? When now business yeah. has dropped, what do I do? You know, what would you recommend? Yeah. What would you say about that one? Don't look at your super. Well, <laughs> as you well know, I can't give a financial advice. I'm not an accredited financial planner, but uh, that, that conversation has gone around many dinner tables, I would suggest. Uh, factually from our senior financial planner is the market fell some 30 odd percent. However, it has bounced back some 20%. That's a fact. So what does that tell you? It, it's, it's time in the market, not timing. The top and the bottom are made for fools and you just need to have a long term view. But I will say this, as you progress through your career, not only do you need a relationship to get your compliance done with your accountant, 
I'm of the view that you need to have a relationship with a financial planner. They will come up with the strategy. It's not just going and picking that stock or that property. It's, okay, what is the strategy? Should we pay off some debt? Should we borrow some more and do this? Should we put money into superannuation? But your superannuation will form part of any review that a financial planner does, and it's ongoing. Mm. It's ongoing, Natasha. So, yeah, are we all concerned our super's gone down in the last three or four weeks? Absolutely. But uh, what uh, what happens in 12 months' time when, when it's gone up? You know, you you might forget these times. So, yes, it is worrying. It is concerning. I would suggest all of our financial planners have been from dawn to dusk talking to clients, holding their hands, analysing what the situation is and just making sure that the strategy we put in place, we, we stick to long term. The last month isn't a long term. It's a month. Mm. Are there any... Uh issues women specifically need to think about when it comes to their superannuation? Well, one of the, well, it's a fact that women have children and they have to care for the children for a period. One of the things that we were going to mention in our uh, talk was, uh, and you've got it noted here, is what happens in the, in the situation of divorce. What I would suggest there is take advice, 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 advice. The situation is that if somebody has not been working and one of and one partner has a lot of superannuation as opposed to the other, there is an opportunity upon a separation of a relationship to, if you like, negotiate what goes where. So one party can can have access and you can move in a tax-efficient manner part of that other party's uh, superannuation. So just to take the the marital home may be one thing, but you also, we all need a roof over our heads, Natasha, but at the end of the day, you're going to need investable assets like shares or property or superannuation. So uh, I would suggest that, uh, that that is one thing, is take advice and make sure that you keep your plan on having some investable assets like superannuation. Does that help? That definitely helps. Um, how about divorce? Women getting divorced. My question was how can we avoid getting screwed? I mean, I know you're going to need to give general advice, but you know, I think a lot of women don't want to get divorced are too scared to because of the financial concerns um, and that keeps them in yeah. maybe bad marriages and yeah. uh, abusive marriages. That's my and my concern with women not talking about money, you know. Uh, money is thought to be a dirty thing when, of course, we know it's not. It's so important to have discussions and to be educating each other. But what, what advice would you give for a woman who's thinking about getting a divorce and money? Know, know where you stand, take advice. One, go, go and see the, the best person in the, the best person in the land in terms of taking advice legally. Know what your rights are. Maybe go and see two or three of the best people. Once you've seen two or three people, they, uh, the other party can't go and see them. That's a strategy that sometimes is, is employed. However, I would suggest 
definitely taking advice early, knowing what your rights are. The fact of the matter is that uh, no matter who owns what assets, there's a process of discovery that has to be gone through legally, so everything must be on the table. And the other thing that I'd say, Natasha, having done this personally, is, is uh, try and take the kids out of it because you want them to have a, a wholesome relationship with both parties growing up is, is try and sort that out. But at the end of the day, uh, if, uh, if, the, if the one party is looking after the kids post-divorce for a period, then how are they going to end up with financial peace of mind in 10, 20, 25 years Taking advice today may assist that in happening and it may be that you you change the split of the assets so that you get more superannuation or you get an investment asset. That That's what I would do, Natasha. I'm, I think a lot of people are afraid of the unknown. It's an emotional journey, having been through it myself, and I think to take advice and know where you stand, know what your rights are, Don't don't be afraid of it. Uh, a, a good advisor, a, a good lawyer, and a, and a good financial advisor will help you through it. But it is it is daunting, and I understand that not all relationships end amicably. However, when we sit down and we have a, a relationship breakup, it's just explaining, look, this is what the numbers are, this is what the structure is, and then trying to sort it out amicably. The only other thing I'd say is try and do it amicably so that the lawyers don't win because... Uh, the lawyers win that comes out of the marital pool. Mm-hmm. What if, though, I you mentioned uh, that you know women should see the best person out there, see two or three people get you know two or three people's advice. But what if I can't afford it? What if I'm a woman and I actually can't afford to to see the best or two or three? What options are yeah. there for me? What are Look, there any free options and more affordable options? Oh well, you've obviously got. You've got your. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm, I can't give legal advice. But you've, you've got uh, your legal aid. But I would suggest that if, if you've got a rough idea of that there that there is uh, some money in the marital pool, you just may not be able to obtain it for for a period of time, depending on the process that that you go through legally. I would just be saying, just see if you can get some resources from family or friends. Um, a lot of a lot of advisors, if you're upfront with them and say, "Look, I can't afford to to pay you now," uh, in the interest of good client relationships, then they'll they'll carry that until such time as you can afford to to pay. So I would just say, be upfront, be honest, go and see someone, and just tell them what the situation is, and you know they'll they'll work out fairly quickly and give you an idea of what you're entitled to. Most advisors, accounting or legal, will generally do the first appointment free of charge. So you, you, you can get some time with an advisor without putting, you know, hurting the back pocket. So that's a consideration. The other thing is that there is so much information available on the net these days. You can find that so much information before you've even walked in. But I'd saying, Natasha, that most people have got an idea of what the marital pool is and that gives them an idea of what they may well be entitled to and having that reaffirmed by an advisor is extremely important and I would suggest doing that sooner rather than later. 
Yeah, I think um, the, the point you, you mentioned about working with the lawyer or the accountant to, to let them know your financial situation, because in, in my experience in, that I've been now in, in uh, private practice for what, since 2012, is that if you ask for people um, to give you a, a payment plan or um, if you can defer payments, et cetera, m- most people will say yes. And uh, I never thought that would be a thing, that people would actually say yes. And so mm-hmm. I would encourage everyone, not just women, to actually ask, you know, can you do this for me? Can I have a bit of a discount? Can I have a payment plan or deferment or, or something? And I think most people will try and work something out. And, and unless you ask, you, you won't know. And uh, that, that does yeah. take bravery. Um, but after a while, you just get used to it. Like that's what I do standard now. You know, it's, it's just the way I work now and, and it's great. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay, you, yeah. you can work things out. And most people have the goodwill to help you out too, um, whether you're in trouble or not, you know. Um, I think you said the, good, the word goodwill mm. is, in, is very important. It, it, it can take you years and years and years to build up goodwill and it can be very easily destroyed. Mm. I think most good practitioners uh, will have a degree of goodwill and they'll want to assist. And I can tell you right now in these times, we know that our clients are going to be strapped cash flow wise and we just work with them. Uh, it's about having a long-term relationship and that's, uh, that's the key. And if you just open and honest and upfront and just say the situation is, I, I look, I can't pay you now or can I have a plan? I would suggest that the vast majority of reasonable and, uh, practitioners would work with with anyone in that circumstance so seek advice uh, and put the cost secondary but be upfront about it if that's a concern one thing i've realized with this covid thing is that uh, a lot of people assume that doctors are all set and they will never have any financial issues ever in their life and I've been very surprised when, when people uh, ask me, so how are things in business? And I say, well, you know, um, it, it's dropped because, of course, patients can't come. Uh, we can't operate like we used to. And uh, it's, uh, it's really hit home for me because I feel for my fellow doctors, as you mentioned, those anaesthetists, you know, their, their incomes have dropped 70 to 90%. Um, and I think it's important for the general community to understand that a lot of doctors like myself are actually in private practice. We are small business operators, most of us, when we're not in just employed in the public sector. And we are subject to everything else that the cafe or the restaurant that's closing down next door is. And um, I think this has brought up a lot for for doctors as well. Um, what advice would you have for, for doctors going through this hard time at the moment? I think society generally doesn't understand how much work is involved in becoming a medical practitioner, Natasha, and uh, every medical practitioner has has studied and worked very, very hard to get where they are and they deserve the spoils of what comes their way. I have not seen... I have not seen these... Things happen in my 35 years where practices are closing, people's incomes are dropping anywhere between 30 to to 90%. And my advice would be, and this is what we're telling our clients, is this this COVID 
situation has got, from what we're being told, a tail. And we are saying, let's just see how we can get you through to Christmas. If that is, if that is having a moratorium on paying your loans, so be it. If that's not paying your tax or varying your tax because the tax office have been proactive in saying that there'll be no interest in penalties. If it means getting your tax back for your December or your September quarter, so be it. It's getting through to Christmas, so to speak so that you can live and survive and have a reasonable quality of life. However, the bank and the taxman will eventually want their money. So I would be taking a pragmatic view and saying that if you can pay your tax, pay it. If you can pay your loans, pay it. If you can pay one of your loans and not the other one, then pay one and not the other one. Mm. Don't think you're going to wake up and the bank and the tax man aren't going to want their money, they will. However, it is really, really important to get through this period and to be able to have some some money in the bank to, to live. So that's the advice that we've been uh, giving, giving our clients, Natasha, is just guiding them through. Get what you can. If you can get your stimulus packages, if you can get your JobKeeper, register and by all means get that and understand you know what goes on your bass and how it works but it's just really getting through this period it, it is it is truly unprecedented mm. and working with your landlords as most doctors do they they lease out their rooms and that's a big one yeah that that is a that is a big one and the government's come out and said that there's a six month moratorium on on evictions and we're We've spoken to clients and said, look, if, if you have a building and you do rent it out, then talk to your tenant because maybe you can help them out. Maybe they can pay three months now and you give them six months. But, you know, a bird in the hands works you in the bush, so to speak. So work with your tenants if you have a property and renting it out. But if you, if you are renting rooms, the situation is, is that if you can pay, you will pay. But if you can't pay, have a discussion with the landlord, let them know. But at the end of the day, the government said you can't you can't evict. So at the end of the day, it's just pragmatically having a discussion and trying to work through it. The landlord may well have a loan on that property, Natasha, so they may need the money as well. So it, it, this is the whole cascading effect. It's, it's, this is why it's so unprecedented. It, it, it affects everyone mm. and it affects everyone in such a – such a major way but I think if you communicate and try and work things through it, it will it will assist imagine if you had a shop now that you just sold toilet paper yeah well there is that charity I get my uh, I get my uh, uh, toilet paper from the charity called who gives a crap and I know oh, that yep. they ran out um, <laughs> my sister which, was telling uh, me about that a, one there's a nice little plug for them. They um, half their profits go to improving sanitary conditions in the third world. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite amazing if you've been to the supermarket. Uh, you can't get into late because you've got the uh, the um, elderly gets the first hour, and that's that's fantastic. But it's just it's just amazing. I was out in front of Woolworths and waiting there at five to eight, and the guy came out and said, "There's no toilet paper," and about ten people walked off. So. Mm. God, wow. Yeah, but it, but um, you know, you, that that business uh, 
that business would um, – it's got great demand but no product at the moment, hasn't it? <laughs> it would be nice that if long-term they stuck to their 8 o'clock open only for the elderly for an hour, wouldn't it? Well, I think. I think yeah, it would be a nice – Yeah, I think – well, the, the, I mean, my parents are 78 and I think for them to have that time that they can go um, and, and do that is great. Preferably every good um, – one of the, the grandkids uh, in most families go and pick up the groceries and drop them off. But uh, it's isolating those who need to be isolated, and uh, I think that's um, that's a, that's a good thing. And we have to we have to do that, Natasha, because as you well know, we're all going to have our turn. Mm. We'll all be young one day, and we'll all be old. Mm. Got to love the oldies. I love the oldies. Um, <laughs> vagina tax. Can we talk about that? I mean, that's a term that someone's coined, and I think it's some American coined that. <clears throat> Uh, that's the gap that exists in wages between men and women. And I was having a discussion with a friend early this morning about this and, and he was saying to me, it doesn't exist. Uh, what are you talking about? And I said, really? And then he gave me some uh, things to go and look at, videos to to listen to. And I thought, okay, mm. this has kind of thrown me a bit. I thought that there was definitely a wage gap between men and women. Um is it real? Look, it's the one point you've put on your uh, points to me that I, I'm really at a, at, a, at a loss. Yes, yes, obviously it, it exists, but it it shouldn't occur. Um, I would I would hate to think that my son and my daughter would do the same job and get paid differently. It it, it doesn't happen. I, I personally don't agree with it. Uh, it doesn't happen in my business. We are. 60-odd percent um, women in our workforce. Um, we've had one uh, lady partner retire recently. We have another one. I, I, I know it exists, Natasha, but it doesn't exist in, in, in my world day to day. But it, it's, it's just, it, I, just, I just can't see why, why it exists. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for the, and most people are, I think, equal work, equal pay. Regardless of your gender, absolutely. Uh, I suppose you know. Yes, I'm. I'm sorry to let you. I'm sorry <laughs> to let you down on that one, but um, it, it's uh, no, not at all. It's just you know, it's just something that uh, that is actually quite foreign. It's foreign to me and and and, and the business uh, that I'm in. We've got so many up and coming, you know, bright people. Our our you know finance area has eighty um, percent. Uh, uh, females in it. Uh, it's it's just so. It, it just eighty percent so female uh, in our finance area. Oh, wow. um, we've, yeah, we've got uh, we've got. Uh, I think we've got uh, what have we got? It's seven seven ladies and, and and two two gentlemen. So three gentlemen, eight ladies, something like that. So yeah, it's um it's certainly it. Yeah. Just put on another accountant this week. Um, um, female, so you know, I just, I just don't understand it. I'm sorry. <laughs> with um, with women getting, oh, I'm just thinking retirement. Okay, let's talk about retirement. I'm a single woman, never married, and you know, I'm 55. What should I be thinking about in regards to my retirement? You know, I'm. I don't earn massive amounts of money. I'm comfortable. I can have my annual holiday. 
what should I be thinking about? It's about how much you're going to need in retirement. When do you want to retire? Uh, our mantra is financial peace of mind, but what does it mean to you? Mm. What, what does it mean to you? Not today, because you're working today. What does it mean to you in 10, 20 years when you are retired? Does it mean to you that when you hop on the plane, you want to turn left or right? What does it actually mean? And then sitting down and working out what you're going to need to live that lifestyle. Is it 10000 a month? Is it $15,000 a month? And then you work it backwards. For you to have that in investable assets, what is the mathematics? Where are you? And it's very simple. Let's just make it, let's just say you've got to get to that $1.6 million cap and today you're at 500000 And if the $1.6 million is what you need, how are we going to get from today to that $1.6? What's the strategy? How much have we got to put in? So it's having a plan. It's no use, no use just bobbing along without a plan. You must have some direction and you must have some strategy behind you achieving that goal. Pretty simple. I, I came up with a retirement plan the other day. Do you want to hear it? Okay. <laughs> My hobby is sewing. I love sewing. And yeah. um, I thought, you know, if I'm getting too old for medicine and I kind of have to semi-retire at 70, because, I, I mean, I, when I think about medicine, I think of working well into my 70s if I can because I love it so much. Yeah. Um, but provided yeah. my mind is still working and my body's able to, uh, you know, still do the speculum examination, all of that. But I thought, oh, it'd be great to be able to teach young girls how to sew. Um, and I thought that would be a nice semi-retirement plan. You know, I could run mm. workshops. How would that affect um, my access to, say, super – how does that work? If you're if you're an old person in your I don't know how to like using the word old, I won't use the word old, but say I'm sixty nine and uh I want to still be able to do stuff like that, give back to the community but also get some pocket money. first of all, um you the goal is for you to wake up and go to work because you want to, not because you have to. Mm. So if you want to go from uh, being a fertility expert and advising to um, being a seamstress and, and teaching, that's really a hobby. But for you to do that, I'm not an expert on what a, a good seamstress would earn, but I don't think they'd probably earn the income that you're earning. So you need to work out how much of your medical income accumulated in investable assets are you going to need to help support you whilst you do that other activity. So uh, you can retire and you can start drawing a pension off your superannuation fund and then that pension will help you live your life and help fund any shortfall that, that your other activity doesn't um, doesn't pay you. So, but, the, but once again, you've just laid a plan out. So... We should sit down and work out, okay, this is what you want to do. What does it look like in 15 years when you are teaching? Do you want to have, do you need to buy a shop now as an, as an asset so you can have your classes there? What does that look like? We can rent that out now. Do we buy that in a self-managed super run, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got an idea. You've got a goal. How do we work backwards to achieve that goal? Because it's not going to happen. You're not going to achieve that in 12 or 18 months, Natasha. It's going to take. It's going to take time. Mm. 
That's why it's important to start, dream. The, look, the, there's an old saying, how do, you, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> I just had a vision of, of elephant poop. <laughs> That's a lot of poop. <laughs> um, lastly, what's the best bit of financial advice that you have been given by somebody else? Anyone? Gee, else? I, I, I actually, um, I actually really toiled over this, and I, I, I came up with three things. The first one that we've is always aim towards having financial peace of mind that you determine. And we've spoken about that a few times, so it, it's very important. I say to clients that you know, when I, I remember seeing interns when I was early twenties, and you know, retirement was just a pinprick away, and and now it's actually quite a big light in our eyes. So, but it's working towards that. And a lot of my clients now they've got a they've got a few acorns screwed away so they can get through this. But if you aim towards that, that's um. That's really important. I think the other thing is that the best advice I can give anyone is what I do myself. I don't just say do a budget. I do a budget once a year. You've got to practice what you preach. And I always say the best advice is what I would do. I told a client today, don't pay all your tax. It was about $80,000. I said, pay half and we'll hold half over to June. Because you might just need that as, as a little bit of a rainy day over the next three months. So mm. that's what I would do myself. The other thing is we have a little bit of a, a table where we call it the PF and S table, that your professional, your financial and your social life are all interrelated and dependent. If you came up with some amazing uh, fertility um, solution or if you came up with a um, a, a, a medicine for the coronavirus, your financial life would go through the roof. You'd be professionally um, hailed and it would influence your social life. But understand that, that they are related and just enjoy. You've got to live. You know, the most, uh, the four things that most medicos will spend money on is the house they live in, the holidays their cars and the schools that their kids go to. Mm. Just understand that, enjoy it, budget for it. But the best one I'd say is the best advice I can give is what I would do myself. If if, uh, if an advisor lives by that mantra, they won't run into any problems, I would suggest. Well, I would say in closing that the mantra that I would take away from having chatted to you today, Craig, thank you, is get out the financial stethoscope for financial peace of mind. Thank you so much, yes. Craig. Natasha, it's been a pleasure and um, let's do it again after we get over this virus. Hey? Yes. And, and we'll do it face to face. That'd be great. And I'll get some questions, I'm sure, from a lot of listeners and uh, we'll, we'll, we will reconvene. Thank you so much, Craig. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed this episode, ladies, with the fantastical Craig Mead and that you picked up some sage words of advice as I did. Please talk openly about your finances. Share good advice with your girlfriends, sisters, nieces, brothers, dogs. Hey, everyone. Share this episode with others if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview, or books to read. 
Until next time, stay fantastic.